Seminary in partnership with Missio Alliance. This is Theology on Mission, the podcast exploring God and integrating faith and life. Here are your hosts, Jeff Holsclaw and David Fitch. Here we are, ladies and gentlemen. We're back again, finally. Holesclaw took the whole summer off and started, and actually he kicked me out of the podcast. You notice the last three podcasts, where was Fitch? You know that Fitch versus Fitch thing you do? We could change it to, where is Fitch? Fitch? (laughs) We could change Fitch versus Fitch into, where in the world did David Fitch go? Let me ask you a highlight of the summer. Have you had a Have you had a decent summer, or were you working uh, your patute off, so to speak? Yeah, we had a pretty good summer. Uh, I didn't really. Usually, we kind of take a big family trip, but uh, that didn't really happen this year. We're kind of just a bunch of piecemeal things, some water parks, some uh, just some random. Sounds fun really stuff. boring, actually. Nah, it's, maybe it is, but I like boring. I'm a well, pretty we boring guy. Well, we went up to guy. the uh, we went up to the Smoky Mountains for four days. Four days with our friends, the Burr Bombs. Then we went to Florida at my mom's place, and we rented a, a mansion in Cape Coral, Florida, ladies and gentlemen. Six hundred bucks for the week, and it was a mansion because nobody wants to be in Florida in the middle of July. That's true. Absolutely true. So you yeah, had a good summer. Great. Yeah, we so, had a great And summer. I did not, just for the record, I did not abandon you. We were both doing a lot of work at the beginning of the summer. You know, we had, like, school ended the spring quarter, and then both you and I started teaching all these intensives. So June was gone. July it was, brutal. was gone. So, June was brutal. So it's been busy, but we're back here for another episode. This is going to be a summer episode. This is kind of like a half coming back to theology uh, no, mission. No, no, no. I'm, I'm all the way back. We Well, I mean, like, we're not going to be doing uh, Fitch versus Fitch. We're not going to be doing what you're reading. Well, that's your but fault. But we're thinking through maybe some other things that all of you listeners uh, would really enjoy and benefit from. So if you have anything where you're like, oh, man, I wish they would do this Can I regularly. just say one thing before we get started? I was pitching to our listeners, like, things they can help out. Not All right, well, go ahead. Uh, well, here's something that they can help out on. I, uh, we're not in the Griffith Conference Room. It really upsets my whole mojo. I don't, really don't feel very comfortable in this room at all right now. It's, it's white uh, walls with uh, actually uh, a lot of strange markings and uh, beat-up old walls. And, and we've and we got a window that's, like, really small, and it's in the middle of summer. Can we please, can we please move back to the Griffith Conference Room? Ladies and gentlemen, if you're listening today, I plead with you. Let's have a campaign to move this thing back to where it all began. Griffith Conference Room Library Northern Seminary. It's kind of like it's kind of like you're saying we cut out one of our best friends, you know, right? It's like there's Dave, then there's Jeff, then there's Griffith, but it was just He's a dead. room. And the thing is, is <laughs> if you started bringing all the equipment back and forth and lugged everything around, maybe I would consider it, but I don't think that's going to happen. Hey, so all right, so I was making a pitch to have uh, more audience participation. So if there's Ways you all, uh, listeners, would like to be involved some more. If you have some feedback or if you have topics or things you would love to hear Dave and I uh, cover on a regular basis, uh, please let us know. Uh, you can tweet Fitch at Fitchist. You can tweet me at Jeff Holsclaw, just one word there. Or you can find us on Facebook. So hit us up in those different places. We also have a Theology and 
or Theology on Mission Facebook page. So leave comments there about things you'd love to have us do. And in the meantime, please, or in addition, please uh, offer some uh, ratings or reviews on iTunes. But today, we're going to be talking about something that's been just burning within Fitch here. It has not He's, been burning. It's been burning. And so uh, it's the relationship between science and... And the scripture. Bible. I was going for the alliterative action there, science and scripture. Oh, nice. Yeah. Science and scripture. And so uh, the payout for all of us uh, at the end of this episode is hopefully we can think of a way to form disciples who have a balanced understanding of scripture and science rather than either going on the one hand where scripture dominates everything and you can never bring up science. We've run into those people or the other people who, who get a taste of science and it just ends up eroding or destroying all faith in scripture, not just faith in scripture, but just faith in general. So is there a way to kind of hold these two things together? Dave, why don't you uh, lay out the landscape, give us kind of an overview of some of these Issues between science yeah, so, uh, and scripture. So I'm going to oversimplify here. Uh, Shocker. Sometimes, sometimes you have to do that to uh, get somewhere, to start somewhere. And so uh, I think there are three ways uh, that we can relate Bible to science. Uh, the first one is what I'll call fundamentalism. Uh, fundamentalism places the Bible over science. Science must conform to the Bible in order to be true. And, you know, some examples of this are, you know, the creation science movement, uh, Ken Ham, um, Henry Morris, those people. Uh, the second option is neo, what I call, I'll call it neo-evangelicalism. This is probably a little more difficult to get my arms around. But anyways, here the Bible is a partner in dialogue with science. The underlying assumption here is that science should inform and critique one's interpretation of the Bible. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, many of my friends, some of them here at Northern Seminary, uh, would uh, fall into this category. I would say biologos is in this category. And actually, I think what characterizes this is that science is put on, within the same epistemological frame of the Bible, the Bible and science, the world of knowledge is uniform and science and the Bible are two approaches into the same knowledge. Therefore, it makes sense to dialogue and keep them as partners. I might even add equal partners. Now, I'm going to push for number three here. Uh, which is a post-foundational or post-modern or, dare I say, post-structuralist view, where the Bible is part of an ongoing tradition of interpretation, a way of life, and it is self-critical. But there is no, uh, say, pure scriptural interpretation of things. It's an ongoing self-critical tradition, and it is in dialogue with science. And, by the way, science is also not pure science. It is produced within an ongoing tradition. It must be critiqued and learned from. There are agendas. There are ideological uh, power structures at work in science. And therefore, we just can't uh, treat them like pure partners, equal partners. Now, I think, and then I'm going to ask for your input on this because I don't know if I've made any sense so far. <laughs> but I think, 
the traditional narrative of the day, let's call it the progressive narrative of the day, is that every fundamentalist must first move from one to two. And the two becomes a reaction to fundamentalism. It's kind of like, oh, I awaken to the reality that now I can actually ask questions, that science can actually be legitimate. I can actually maybe uh, believe in evolution and it won't crush my faith. Um, but in my opinion, what often happens, and I, I submit to you, what often happens is a uh, unquestioned naivete towards science as if science is somehow, modern science is somehow pure truth and it's somehow uh, more trustworthy than the Bible, if we're not careful. And so it's only when you move into three and realize that science has its own agendas, captivities, along with the church. Hey, I'm the first one to say the church has agendas and the church has a calling. But there are historical thing processes at work in both and we are to in the dialogue, we are self-critical and critical of one another, and therefore it's a much more um, intentional dialogue. There's no risk of two. And my contention is I think people get caught up in two, and we need to move them into three. And I'll close with this comment, and then, I'll, then you can... I know you're itching to get in on this. Uh, but when we move people from two to three, there's no danger of people becoming a disciple of modern science. No, we are disciples of Jesus Christ out of what he has done in the world through himself and the Holy Spirit, the church and scripture, as opposed to disciples of science. And out of that posture, we engage and critique modern science. I think it's a better to be a three than a two. And I think we've turned into better disciples and more critical, uh, aware, non-naive understandings of science. Pipe in, if you will, Mr. Holslaw. Well, you know, I've just, I just want to pipe in, first of all. I'm sure everyone listening just wants to say amen. It's been a while since I've had a good Fitch rant to be able to kind of snuggle up with. We really enjoy that, all that passion that you bring when it comes to these different issues. Wow. Yeah, snuggle up. You're probably not prepared not for me to say that. Not comfortable with right? you not... saying snuggle up <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> to me. So I, I, like the, I like the way you ended there. Uh, who or what are we disciples of? Sometimes we can feel like we're a disciple of the Bible, right? So we need to kind of hold to certain tenets, certain truths, or make the Bible the foundation. And then, you know, we get the inerrancy doctrines, we get infallibility and different things, modern kind of um, layers upon layers of how to defend the Bible, which is a reaction to the Enlightenment project. Or are we a disciple of science? And I think we have a lot of people who are disciples of science, right? What science tells me is what is true. And I'm going to go find out a, the scientific... Do have a few examples of that? This, of science being true? Um, or no, disciples, disciples of, of science. science? Well, I think it depends on what kind of field uh, you're talking about. But we have, you know, facts and figures. And so you could be an economist where you do, everything is reductive to uh, incomes and, you know... Sociological yes. statistics. Sociological... We also have... Behavioral therapies... Well, why don't you go on with it? Well, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, so there's all different fields where we could say they have the definitive truth around this field of study. And to question it means you're ignorant or it means you're foolish or you're just willfully, you know, a curmudgeon or something like that. Right. So what we have is if when we go from one to two is we have Christians now all of a sudden unquestionably. One is a discipleship to scripture or an undevo unwavering discipleship to scripture. Two is an unwavering discipleship to science. Let me nuance that. Okay. One is a... Uh, 
uh, a discipleship, an unwavering discipleship to a particular singular interpretation of Scripture as delivered to you by your church or your denomination. Mm, right. And nothing can disagree with you come hell or high water mm-hmm. or else you're going to hell. Okay. We need to move from that to number two. Okay. And when we, but, but when we, if we naively move into number two, think about this. We become determined by the categories of science. So... When we think about drugs, various drug therapies, various psychological therapies, various understandings of, say, um, um, gene therapy, oh, I become determined by this. I must listen to my doctor uh, with this. My doctor says this, or the world of science tells me I'm this, or I am th- I've got this disease, therefore I can only do this, and we're not open to, dis- to criticizing it and allowing the Holy Spirit to maybe lead us into a new understanding of ourselves. And, uh, and who was the first guy who really, first person who really uh, nailed this on, on the head? Uh, I'm not sure. Foucault? Michel Foucault, who showed how the medicalization of various diseases and Really, there's just three options there. I was either going to say Foucault, Nietzsche, or Zizek. I mean, there's only like there's... Zizek's not so, uh, well, he's not. All right. Really so before you go into that, so I want to say that between the first and the second, between like this uh, super strong commitment of scripture or a super strong commitment to science, we often think that, oh, this is a development of someone's like religious expression or some kind of development of maturity. Um, but really, I don't think it's a development at all. I think it's just a negation. So you have scripture as the ultimate authority. And then you just negate that and you, you look for another ultimate authority and you just make that as science. And so we see a lot of these people who swing, you know, and maybe uh, uh, when it comes to scripture, Bart Ehrman might be a perfect example where he goes from uh, very or fundamentalist Boltman. or Boltman, very fundamentalist understanding, very literalist understanding of scripture, all the way to the historical investigations tell us that there are errors in scripture that they're unreliable, that everyone had agendas when they're putting them together, mm-hmm. blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. Right. So you just, so sometimes we think, Oh, we're developing our kind of views. We're nuancing it, but we're not nuancing it. We're just replacing one category for another. We ne- we're negating one thing and replacing it with another. And by the way, that's all within the modern frame, the modern epistemological frame that sees all knowledge as this kind of uh, unified, uh, Belief, or all or nothing proposition, unified world of reality of which we are approaching it with various forms of knowledge. Um, but what we learn with someone like I don't know if you read him in undergrad, but it was a big, it was a big uh, revealing in my undergrad was Thomas Kuhn, History of Scientific Re- Revolutions, uh, Paradigm Shifts, helping us see how how whole paradigms of understanding the world via science overturned, completely changed and help us see the world in totally different ways. So you no longer see science as this kind of pure uh, lens on reality. Then you had uh, Polanyi, you know, who talked about personal knowledge, tacit knowledge, who actually grew up as a scientist, chemical, I think he was a chemist in uh, Germany before World War II. He saw how science was being used by Nazi propaganda as an agenda uh, to uh, basically eliminate the, Jew- the Jews. Um, you know, you have people like Quine who talk about webs of belief. You have all these people who helped us understand that the way uh, of engaging the world um, is much more of a um, narrative understanding, a web of belief, uh, a cultural linguistic 
way of looking at the world and sometimes ideologically agendas come into play. And so, you know, Foucault was famous for helping us see how science becomes part of an agenda, part of a power interest, you know. Um, what did, what did uh, 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 Nietzsche say uh, about truth is an error that no human being can live without or something? You know, in other words, truth has its power function, mm -hmm. okay, that enables us to see and understand and accomplish things to keep our own self going. There's power in all truth. Right. So Nietzsche is an enlightened or is a post enlightenment critic of modernity, kind of a uh, pre postmodern kind of type person. Uh, and so truth for him and for others is kind of this necessary illusion that kind of functions in the foreground to kind of cover over all the illicit power moves that are happening in the background. Uh, and so uh, we're talking. And so this quest for purity, I just want to go back to the quest for purity before we go to this third option that you're proposing and we can kind of flesh that out is, well, what does it mean for something to be like your, what does it mean for something to be pure or for something like scripture or for science uh, to be without kind of blemish or something like that? So I just want to throw some things out. This is usually the idea that, uh, you know, these things don't have any presuppositions, you know, they're just kind of given. So scripture is given or science is given. There's this idea that there's no agenda at work when you use these facts, when science is deployed or when uh, different studies are put out, there's like, oh, this is totally unbiased. And the same thing goes for scripture. And then certainly the idea that there's no tradition involved in either scripture or tradition, or there's no history involved with the production of these materials in, in scripture or science. Um, and so that's what the idea is, is that there's these pure uh, discourses that um, aren't untainted by all these kind of other issues. But we want to propose that you can't just exchange one for the other. You can't just have this search for purity in Scripture and then just replace it with a pure science. But rather, they're both kind of always situated within a tradition, a human agenda. And those don't have to be negative things. That's just a no. reality, right? And so then what's the other option? So what's this third position? Once we come to grips with science isn't the be-all, end-all for our search for truth, of which we just bring... Uh, uh, scripture in along for the ride afterwards. Uh, but what is it? Uh, what's the third option when we're not satisfied with either of those first two? Well, uh, I thought I'd already explained it. Maybe explain you it again. Maybe you weren't listening, but uh, sorry. Uh, but, um, you know, this idea that uh, science is a paradigm, a tradition, a uh, way of understanding the world it's got a methodology to it. It's got, um, and it's got its own tradition. And so, and even more surprisingly, it gets co-opted by various cultural forces. And since, you know, I teach theology of church and culture, my job here at Northern Seminary is to examine and understand how culture, how the church relates to culture. Um, I fear uh, that we don't see science in that way. We see it as, as, pu as pure as we once saw scripture. Now we see science. And so we are always abdicating. There might be times when we go to the doctor and he says, um, we need uh, to, um, we have this genetic uh, default in, uh, uh, let's say, uh, a pregnancy. Or let's say I have a gene that predicts I'm going to be insane in three years. Or I have a gene. And, and, and science tells us, oh, no, you are a predict. You, you are determined by this. Well, actually, 
I think we need to take a closer look at that, and we probably need to discern what's going on. There will be times when we want to have some intervention and some medi- medical drug intervention, technology intervention. There will be other times when we say no. There will be times when we need to discern what the Spirit's doing. I don't think we have that freedom as disciples of Christ all the time when we give medicine, when we give science so much power in our lives. So what would be your what would your advice be to a pat a local church pastor who has two different congregants? Um, one is everything is about the Bible; they would never want to listen to anything else. And the other one uh, is someone who maybe has just come out of that mind frame, and now they want they're talking about the scientific study over here that's determined this. And uh, I have someone uh, who you know thinks a lot about love, but it's all the scientific studies of love and altruism and uh, vulnerability and all these different types of things. And I'm thinking in my head, well, this is what love is, that God uh, first loved us and gave his only son for us, you know, right? And so that which is a theological definition of love, but the science kind of doesn't have any kind of, it's not even close to that kind of definition. So how would you respond to a pastor who's like, well, how do I move uh, the person stuck in number one or the person stuck in number two to a, a healthy place of number three? Like, how do we move them? That's a good question, and I don't know if I have the answer to that, but I do know that over and over again in the last 20 years I've heard these words. Well, the professional tells me, and then they give me a predictive determination, mm-hmm. that if I don't do A, B, and C, I'm going to die. Or if I don't, do, if I don't go into this particular program, I have uh, no future. Or if I don't, and actually I see that God wants to work in their lives and God's calling them giving them indication that he wants to work within a community of believers in prayer and healing. Well, I was in a men's group. This is many years ago. A guy has a $350,000 house, uh, eight bedrooms, working 80 hours a week, can't be home more than like an hour in the evening. He's working himself to death. The pressure is killing him. And the doctor prescribes again a psychotropic drug to ameliorate the conditions. And I said, do you think maybe... God might be telling you something else here. That maybe sell the stinking house. Okay, now I'm getting a little bit out of out of order here. So maybe <laughs> God's calling you to sell the house, to work less, to spend time in in the community and in, and in with your family. Uh, oh no, I just need the the psychiatrist is telling me I need to take this drug and and it'll relieve my anxiety and then I can work a hundred hours a week. All I'm saying is I'm trying to illustrate, not, please, folks, Jeff Holesclaw, everybody out there, let me reiterate, there are times, important times, when chemical imbalances need to be treated medically through various drug therapies. But there are also times when we need to say, you know what, I think I need to look at my life, my relationship with God, what's going on in my communal life, and how I'm being present to what God's doing in my life. Does that make sense? Yeah, certainly. The the two things that came to mind was uh, is what is the place of the community of believers, and uh, is there assumption is there an assumption that God is still active and authoritative in your life? If you and I think this happens in Scripture too, is Scripture and science uh, can assume people can assume that God's not active or authoritative in in my life anymore outside of what these two think, outside of just reading this book or outside of just listening to these facts in whatever realm I'm interested in at, the, at that time. But do you have a community of believers that you can test and discern either of those sources with? 
and is your working presupposition as a person, as a person of faith following Jesus, is that God is active right now and is in some sense authoritative in how you should continue to act in your next decision before you, yeah. right? So this decision about, you know, uh, stress or depression and whether you should go on medication or not is like, okay, well, that's a piece of information, but what does a community of believers who knows you, who knows what you're really dealing with, who maybe that you've confessed sin to, hopefully, recently to, what are they saying about who you are and what the next step might be? Uh, and take that into consideration. If you're actively believing God is actively involved in your life, then listen for what he might have to say. And so when it comes, and you know, I really believe scripture is authoritative, and I know you do too, Dave, but that needs to be discerned. How is God speaking in a community of believers? I also believe that science is a super important aspect of our life, but it needs to be discerned in a community of believers about, well, what might it be saying right now about this issue? And just punting by saying, well, the authority said this or the authority said that, I think um, is one kind of lazy at the at the end of the day. And I think is often just an overreaction to some sort of other biblical fundamentalism. Right. And so, um, I mean, we're not, this is just one example. I mean, uh, there's several examples. The, way, the ways uh, the school systems uh, create systems for our children and tell us we must do this and this and this for the child. Why? Because or what freedom might so. mean in politics and how we should vote or economics and how we should spend our money yeah, or saving so what our retirement plans are for. I mean, there's all sorts. predict that if we don't do this and this and this, if you don't start saving your retirement, blah, blah, blah. Right. There's all sorts of these authorities. Oh, uh, economics. If you don't save uh, five, eight, eight times your regular income, by the time you're 60, uh, you're going to have a meaningless life. All the ways science becomes God in our lives that needs to be critiqued out of community of faithful living in the presence of Christ via Scripture. So, you know, uh, I don't know if we've gotten anywhere on this podcast. No, we you, certainly have. You've gotten me a so, little worked up. Absolutely. So science and Scripture are important aspects to our lives of faith. And yet, they're, uh, uh, science certainly can't be the first and last word when it comes to things, and because ne- neither of them are pure. So we're all worked up about this. But we both believe science and Scripture have a large place. We believe God is speaking in those things, God is a God of order, and yet we as fallible human beings can screw up what we're hearing or what we're seeing, and so we need community, we need prayer, we need the Holy Spirit to do that. Now, you're already worked up. I know you are. I'm calmed down now. Okay. You're, well, I'm going to work you up again here. Oh, uh, I shot out a little picture that we were about to do a new podcast, uh, you know, asking, you know, uh, all 10 listeners, you know, what do you want to ask uh, us before we uh, jump on the podcast? Tim Keel jumps on. He, he really has a question he wants you to answer. Are you ready? I'm not ready for this. He's ready. He, he, he wants to know. You said what no the heck. He wants to know what the heck happened to the White Sox. Oh, that's what pathetic. he wants to know. Absolutely pathetic. I turned them off. Hamilton Tiger Cats <laughs> have occupied my whole summer. So Tim Keel can of course ask that because he's in Tim, Kansas City. Kansas City's not doing too well this he's summer. He's in Kansas either. City and they got a, a World Series from last year. But you know, hopefully the Cubs this year. Let's hopefully, oh, hopefully. All right, well, we're running out of time. We'll be back very soon to talk about uh, many different things to discuss what theology on mission looks like and what mission looks like when it has a robust theology. So stay tuned. Uh, More episodes coming shortly. See you next time. Jeff and Dave out.